Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Delighted to welcome my next guest now, Cabinet Office Minister Michael Gove. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Lovely to speak to you. A great day yesterday, the rollout of the vaccine. First country in the world to vaccinate the first people in the world with an approved vaccine. And now we're told that we're going to get more deliveries next week. Um, The crucial question for lots of people is when are we going to see enough people vaccinated that we can get back to normal life? Can you tell us? Next year. Next year. Well, next year's got a lot of days in it. Some of them are much sooner than others. When next year? We can't be absolutely certain, but I hope it'll be the spring. Um, uh, we've got 800,000 vaccine doses that have arrived. Some wonderful people who've already um, uh, volunteered to be vaccinated, like the, uh, the now world-famous Martin Kenyon. Um, uh, we're getting millions more this month. We hope that the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine will complete its tests as well. Uh, and we hope, um, again, I can't put a precise date on it, I hope that um, uh, you know people talk about Easter. I think that's a, a good sort of you know general reference point uh, when we will ensure that we vaccinate enough people for life to return to normal. Okay, I mean this is the key, the key thing because we've had Sir Patrick Vallance, the Chief Scientific Advisor, who definitely seems to have the ear of the Prime Minister an awful lot on these issues, talking about us still wearing masks next winter and and then being mandatory. There's the hint being, uh, and yet we had Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, on my show yesterday, uh, saying this: Once we've protected those who are likely to end up in hospital and those who are likely, most likely, if they get it, to die from coronavirus, then obviously the uh, we can rely on people's personal responsibility to protect themselves rather than the current okay. rules that we have to have in place. Um, so do you agree with your colleague, uh, Matt Hancock, that actually it's, uh, as of that point, it's going to be personal responsibility rather than rules? So if someone wants to wear a mask, they can wear a mask, they can social distance if they want, but we are not going to be legally required to anymore? Matt is always right. So you do agree with him? Yes. Do you fancy having that conversation with the Chief Scientific Advisor and the Chief Medical Officer to make sure that they're on board with that as well? I talk to them regularly. 
why are they saying things that are different from, and I realise that scientists and politicians are not the same people, but it's a bit of a concern for those of us who are worried that even after the vaccine is fully rolled out, we're still going to have restrictions on our lives, restrictions on what we can freely do with our meeting our family and friends, where the businesses can be open. Um, we need reassurance that, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll carry on doing the right thing over Christmas and New Year. OK, we'll carry on doing it till Easter. We need to know that there is an end date, not a specific date as such, but a, at the point when a certain number of people are vaccinated, that's it, we get all, and I don't mean some, I mean all of our freedoms back. Yes, that will happen. Guaranteed that will happen. I'm going to hold you to yes. that, Michael. I'm going to hold you to that. Um, let's also talk about um, what's going to happen in terms of the vaccine and the, and, uh, and the virus spread at the moment. Lots of talk of London, the capital city, nine million people entering tier three when we have that next review on the 16th of December in a week's time. Um, is that likely? Uh, I think it's important that we look at the facts. We want to make sure that we move, uh, move uh, uh, parts of the country, I should say, um, lower down uh, the the tier uh, staircase. Uh, it is the case that uh, there is a, a relatively high incidence of the virus in some parts, particularly of East London, as there is in Essex and in Kent. Uh, but it's also the case that there are other parts of London where there's a low incidence of the virus. As well as looking at the incidence of the virus, we've also got to look at NHS capacity. One of the things about London is that it easy it is easier for hospitals to provide mutual aid. But obviously, we look at all of these decisions in the round. I can't preempt that, but it does reinforce the importance, uh, uh, you know, in the run up to Christmas of people uh, as, as much as we possibly can exercising appropriate restraint. If we all exercise restraint, then that means that we can all enjoy and I, I realise how painfully limited they are the limited freedoms that we have. Well indeed I mean we know that now the Office for National Statistics the data which was used to go into lockdown 2 in November they've actually um, uh, uh, changed their, their data now they've looked back at their modelling and actually there was really no, they were claiming there was a big spike we were absolutely having to go into lockdown that data has now been totally and utterly debunked. Um, are you losing any faith whatsoever as many of us are in the computer modelling in the data in the capital T capital S the science when it keeps being proven to be wrong. No, you still trust. You still, you still, you still trust data, even though after the fact it's proven to be wrong. Uh, the whole point about science is that uh, uh, you put forward propositions, theses, models, um, and you test them, and you test mm -hmm. them openly, and you refine that in the light of additional information. Um, on the whole. Uh, while science is not a perfect guide to the future, it's the best method of uh, 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 reason that we uh, really reasoning that we have. Um, it's the most systemologically reliable way of determining what is likely to happen in the future. And I prefer it to um, astrology or reading entrails. But, oh yes, but it's a question of whether whose who's science and whose data you trust, isn't it? Because actually we had lots of evidence before the first, before the second lockdown that actually infections, like before the first lockdown in, in March, had actually peaked. And yet we still went ahead with the lockdown. We saw in what happened in Wales, obviously not your responsibility, but in Wales, uh, we see that actually their rates are now rising. Infections are rising at a far higher rate even though they had that lockdown. Um, there's an awful lot of evidence that an awful lot of the government measures that have taken place over the last nine months or so may have done more harm than good. Will we be learning any of those lessons? Yes, I think we need to look at them all in the round. Um, um, I, I think that uh, it, there's certainly a legitimate challenge about some of the measures that we've, we've taken. And indeed, you know, as a result of that, some of the measures have changed slightly. So, uh, you know, one of the things the government has done, for example, is while it's still the case that uh, it's last orders before 10 um, in those areas where restaurants are open, uh, that people have a little bit more 
uh, drinking up or finishing up time so that they disperse um, in a in a more staggered way. Um, and you know, that, and that's an example of legitimate challenge and, and policy improving. But overall, I think going to the Wales example, what Wales showed is that if you do have a lockdown or circuit break, that will reduce the incidence of the virus. I think the problem, though, you know, it's open to debate in Wales, is that uh, they then relax too many measures too quickly, um, and that saw the virus rise again. That, that, that's a judgment I make on the evidence that I see. Okay. But, you know, good people can differ. OK, well, let's talk about the science of Brexit. Um, Boris Johnson is off to Brussels today. He's going to be having dinner with Ursula von der Leyen, the European Commission president, uh, this ahead of the European Council starting tomorrow. In terms of getting a Brexit deal, getting a trade deal over the line, are we relying on EU goodwill, EU self-interest, or Boris Johnson's personal charm and powers of persuasion to get it over the line? Uh, I think we're just relying on the power of sweet reason, as the Prime Minister pointed out. Um, it's in everyone's interest that we get a deal, but it can't be a deal at any price. What, what is a price that is willing to be paid then? Because which of the three big issues, the level playing field, the fisheries, uh, the governance and the like, which of those three issues do you think there is room for compromise on? Well, I think um, we're certainly prepared on uh, what's called the level playing field to accept that uh, we'll continue to maintain high standards outside the EU on, on things like workers' rights and commitment to the environment. What we can't accept is the principle that was being put forward last week, that if the EU changed their rules, that we have to follow suit or face penalties. OK. And is the biggest risk for Boris Johnson right now, especially with all the economic damage from the uh, COVID and the, and the lockdowns and the like, uh, COVID pandemic, is the biggest risk for him a no-deal Brexit or a bad-deal Brexit? Well, I think we want to get a good deal. Um, but again, well, We do, but which is the biggest risk of the other two options? Well, I, I, I think it depends how bad the bad deal was. Do you think, do you, which do you think that uh, he would go down and side with? Because there are an awful lot on the Tory backbenchers, the uh, Eurosceptic group, that who uh, say basically they would not accept really any more compromise than there's already been done. In which case, if he comes back with a bad deal, then he's going to anger not just the Remainers, he's going to anger the Eurosceptics as well. In which case, he's in a bit of a no-win situation, isn't he? Well, um, I think it is the case, actually, the Prime Minister... Um, we'll get the right deal uh, for uh, Britain. Um, but um, uh, I don't think you can please all of the people all of the time. Um, but I think it's important that the Prime Minister, uh, which I know he absolutely will, brings back a deal that honours what the British people voted for in 2016 and 2019. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Boris Johnson's off to uh, see Ursula von der Leyen. Uh, do you think it's significant that he's going to Brussels? He's going ahead of this European Council summit. And we're told that this isn't about doing a deal with her, uh, you, know, uh, you know, over the, uh, the cheese souffle. This is about... Um, and then just having a conversation about sort of effectively, are you, if you're willing to compromise, I'll be willing to compromise, but are you willing to compromise? And, and who can we agree to both blink first? And are we, are we, do we actually fundamentally want a deal? Um, do you think it's significant that he's gone there uh, rather than Ursula von der Leyen coming to Brussels? And do you think it's significant that this says that, that he is desperate for a deal or that he's just willing to go all the way to do a deal to show if there is a no deal, he tried his hardest? Which way would you read this? Who knows? I mean, I think obviously two things. First of all, everything that Europe says, uh, everything that Boris Johnson and the UK government says is done to an audience. For the European Union, the audience isn't us. It's their own domestic electorates, uh, particularly in those countries that have elections coming up uh, relatively soon. Um, Obviously, everything that we hear coming out from number 10 is for our benefit, is for the UK audience. And it might not be entirely the truth, but it's what they want us to hear. And certainly, if there isn't a deal, the Prime Minister wants to be able to demonstrate that he did everything that he could. And of course, if there is, then it was down to his heroic last minute (laughs) statesmanship. And these things do often go to the wire. We can be probably rightly critical that after all this time, um, you know, 12 months since the general election, that here we are, you know, pretty much, you know, a minute to midnight um, and there is still no deal. That's really bad news for, uh, you know, if we knew there's going to be no deal, that would be terrible, I would argue. But either way, the uncertainty is what is killing uh, businesses and their preparation amongst all the things going on at the moment. Um, So we can say it's crazy that it's the last minute. Often this is the way these things work, sadly. And so maybe this isn't as unusual as we might say. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We, we know everyone is just dealing with their own uh, home audiences. But what is it significant also that Boris Johnson is not having meetings with individual leaders? We know that the, he very much works on the basis, you know, when he mm. met with the Irish Taoiseach uh, back last summer and when he uh, you know, withdrawal agreements and the like, uh, meeting with Angela Merkel, meeting with Man, uh, Emmanuel Macron, who obviously puts a lot of, of uh, faith mm. in his own personal uh, abilities to charm, persuade, cajole or whatever it is he does in those individual meetings. The fact that the EU 27 and said, nah, no, thank you. You can, you know, your guy can meet with Michel Barnier and you can meet with Ursula von der Leyen and that's it. They are keeping, yeah. they, they, for yeah. these negotiations, these talks, they are keeping a united front, even though we know they actually yeah. do have different um, desires at this time. Yeah, I mean, I think from whatever your perspective, or maybe both of these things can be true, one of the most frustrating but impressive things about the European Union uh, over the last few months is the incredible unity of the 27. 
Um, Michel Barnier is the, is the spokesperson um, and whatever relationship Boris Johnson may or may not have with other leaders of the, of the, 20, of the 27 member states, um, he's not been able to make any use of that. And the EU, as you say, there will be different positions within the 27, but they've agreed a mandate, they have stuck to it. And uh, the fact that he's going to Brussels rather than you know, going to Paris or Berlin or anywhere else for that matter, um, shows that he's had to concede that he is not dealing with other uh, world leaders uh, equivalent in other countries, but with the EU bloc. It's, you know, it's an Im impressive um, uh, kind of united front that the EU has shown throughout all this. But that's but, part of the problem the UK's got now. Yeah, indeed. Um, but again, it's whether at the, the final, you know, final furlong, whether or not the, uh, the, the pressure will go on Manuel Macron of France to actually do a deal. Two interesting developments yesterday, both related to Northern Ireland. One was the government uh, saying they will remove those uh, controversial clauses from the Internal Market Bill that would have given ministers the power to effectively override parts of the withdrawal agreement signed by the Prime Minister and the EU last year, which was regarded as, even by the government's own, uh, own, own lawyers advising them, was actually you know, a breach oh. of international law. Also, Michael Gove uh, meeting uh, yesterday uh, with uh, Maros Savkovic uh, of, the United, of the European Union uh, to uh, basically agree a deal where effectively Northern Ireland's borders will operate from next month um, with, with Brussels customs officials effectively having a permanent base oh. um, in Northern Ireland to oversee checks on goods crossing the Irish Sea. He described this as them as Northern Ireland having the best of both worlds, both one mm. foot in Europe and one foot in the UK. It is a fudge. We always knew that Northern Ireland would have to be a fudge. Um, but the phrase best of both worlds, um, a lot of Remainers uh, are picking up on that, saying, why can't the rest of the UK have that best of both worlds? Yeah, it's the most peculiar thing, really. Um, trying not to get into the, the, the sort of rhetoric around the referendum, but over the during the course of the referendum and in course in the the year leading up to it, those people who argued for the UK leaving the EU, um, there was a tiny fraction of those voices um, that ever said that the UK shouldn't be in the single market. Um, and you know, many people are on the record, Dan Hannan, even Nigel Farage, Boris Johnson, arguing that we'd leave the European Union, but of course we'd stay in the single market. And so it's become a more and more extreme version of Brexit that we've ended up with. Even with a deal, it'll be a very hard Brexit. And and that's what's caused the problem with Northern Ireland. If you take Northern Ireland into a situation where it's outside the single market, then you create a border. So effectively, Northern Ireland is going to be in the single market um, and therefore different from the rest of the UK. So um, this was always going to be a problem, as you say. The problem is that you then it just it's more fuel for the Scottish nationalists and it makes... Um, Northern Ireland leaving the United Kingdom much more likely. And so the sad reality is that the, the thing that was meant to be a great patriotic act is an act that's going to physically diminish the United Kingdom, probably, um, with, certainly within my lifetime, depending on how long I live, but you know, within the next 10, 20 years, every chance we lose Northern Ireland, Scotland. And I don't think that's what many of the 52% envisaged or wanted. In fact, it's probably the opposite of what they wanted. Um, I don't know what there is to, to be done at this last stage, if I'm at this late stage, I am um, sorry to say. But one little thing from this is it does look that we won't be breaching the Good Friday Agreement, which I think is significant for Britain's international standing beyond Europe. Um, and if you, again, if you had to put the home on it, <laughs> what do you reckon we're going to get a deal or not? I wouldn't, but um, uh, it's my sense is there probably would be a deal, but it probably wouldn't be a very big one. I think it's critical for the, the government, I think, um, to try and avoid tariffs. 
but I mean, so I'm, you know, somebody who is very proud to represent the Lake District and the Yorkshire Dales, a very important part of um, the UK's farming industry. You know, my uh, farmers are looking at facing anything up to 50 odd percent tariffs. We got 90 percent, 95 percent of our sheep meat, uh, which is exported, exported to the European Union. So it, I mean, no deal is properly devastating for farming. Um, particularly livestock and dairy farming. I think there will be a deal, but the thing to remember is even a deal doesn't stop Kent turning into a car park um, because it will be the non-tariff barriers that will remain, even if we're not paying taxes. Do, do, you, do you understand the, the principles involved, though, for Brexiteers, this idea that the, 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 the big, big three lines, which are big issues, the fisheries, uh, um, uh, state aid, and the issues over governance and who gets a final say in the event that we mm. do have a dispute, that, that those are really non-negotiable if you are a sovereign nation-state, and no other nation-state, even the Americans, who say, oh, well, you have to do a deal with the EU, the Americans would never in a month of Sundays agree to have a, another organisation, other blocs, court have a final say over them or, or be bound to their, their, their rules and regulations. The, the, this, is, this is kind of fundamental to Brexit. And if, if yeah. the EU won't agree to that, then, well, so be it, we go it alone. So I think this is where we begin to see what sovereignty really means, because sovereignty is about power, isn't it? Um, it's also about responsibilities, because you know, rights and responsibilities go together. And we're discovering, aren't we, that when you leave an, an organisation of like the European Union, then you want to not rejoin it, of course, but to have a relationship. You're not do. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would, but it's not for now. Um, the um, I think we've made it sort of position where it's very difficult to do that. But I would say that you know, when when you you know, the analogy is if you belong to a club. You, pay, you abide by its rules and you pay the membership fee when you stop and, and, and in, result, in return you get the benefits of membership of that club when you leave then you know you don't have access to the bar and all the rest of it and so we can't complain where if we want to trade um, freely with the biggest block on the planet then well, well, there's going to be some concessions but again, but again this is a, sovereignty we have this analogy for four and a half years and it's a silly mm. analogy because because we're not we're not asking for those things we're not asking for anything different than any other country with whom the EU trades and they're just the EU wants to punish us for for, for, for leaving let, 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 that's fine I want to ask you one other question um, Sir Patrick sure. Balance the uh, Chief Scientific Advisor has said that even with the vaccine rollout even if it all goes to plan even if all the elderly all the vulnerable people millions of people get the vaccine mm. we will still be needing to socially distance and to wear masks even through next winter um, you're a liberal I mean a liberal used to mean something um, <laughs> should we still be doing that would you accept well, uh, that it all depends on whether that advice is right. I mean, if it, a, a liberal as opposed to a libertarian. A libertarian thinks everyone should be able to do whatever the heck they want. A liberal thinks that we have to respect the rights of other people as well as exercising our own mm -hmm. rights. And and I think that if if the advice is and the evidence is, and I'm no scientist, neither are you, that they if they, if the evidence out there is that that is what's required to stop people getting ill and dying. Then that's something I'll take seriously. Well, no, no, hold on Obviously. a minute. No, no, but that's not. A, it's, not it's not. a. There's evidence for people not, you know, to save people from dying, or there isn't. It's about the. It's about how much risk one's willing to take. Though, but the risk will be massively, yeah. massively down. We're talking about a yes. low risk then for the vast majority of the population, uh, way, way, way below the risk of flu at the point when people are vaccinated. Yeah. And we're also talking about there being still, to this day, no study that has actually proven. I'm willing to accept it may be possible, but no study has actually proven that masks do actually stop the spread of this virus. If in which case, there's really no argument for masks being well, continued as, as, so, a, as, a, as a requirement, surely. You know, as a, as a non-scientist, my, my gut assumption 
um, is that once the society is, is fully vaccinated, um, I think there's reasonable hope that that would be done you know, well before summer, um, then we're in a situation where normality um, can resume and that would that'd be what I would want to see. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Well, let's talk about all this with Lord Matt Ridley. He's a Conservative peer, long-time writer on green issues and author of a brilliant book out this year, How Innovation Works. Good morning to you, Lord Ridley. Good morning, Good Julia. morning. How are you? Um, very well indeed. I'm, I'm just worrying about playing my part in saving the planet. Um, even when we see the headlines, uh, Mail Today, cut meat and dairy by a fifth to save planet... Everything is always now about, I mean, whether it's a global pandemic, uh, understandably a big concern, uh, but whether it's climate change or any other issue, everything now is about a major catastrophe that we need to avert. So we're not just sort of going to do things to be environmentally sound. That's not good enough anymore. We have to be saving the planet. I'm not quite sure what we're saving the planet from because it's never quite explained. Um, but we're told by this report from the Committee on Climate Change that we're going to have to halve the amount of meat we eat by 2050. Uh, we're not going to be able to get a load of flights. We're not going to be able to uh, uh, use our car so much, slashing the number of miles driven by a third, uh, 15% cut in getting flights. Um, we're going to have to basically get rid of our gas spoilers um a lot of things which um really you're only going to do either by force say well you're only allowed to get two flights a year or whatever or we're going to be doing by price i.e simply taxing people out of eating meat dairy using their car getting on a plane um do you think the british public has signed up to this well i think the british public uh, are concerned about climate change until you tell them that it requires them to have uh less meat less dairy less heating less fuel less flying less uh, traveling and indeed a professor at cambridge in a letter to the ft yesterday said less hot water we've got to have less hot water in in the future well i had a hot shower this morning I, you'll have to claw the hot shower out of my cold dead hands frankly I, so, i'm, I'm um, with you on that one <laughs> and, and and the committee on climate change chief executive is quoted in the times this morning as saying that the cost is very small he used the words very small the same paragraph gives the cost at a trillion pounds now, I'm no economist, but uh, I don't think a trillion pounds is very small. £8,000 per household to replace a, a gas-fired boiler. Um, the cost of upgrading insulation in, in older homes, you know, those of us who don't have um, uh, well-insulated, modern-built homes, etc., uh, is going to be huge. I mean, th this is the thing, isn't it? Whenever we're told about what needs to be done and reaching these targets and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, cabinet ministers get to go and sort of sit at as with the COP26 or whatever it is next year when they're going to be able to sort of get, get slaps on the back from everybody saying, oh, well done for your wonderful targets. They never seem to go through the actual detail. And every time I have a Green representative on from whether it's a charity or, or the, the, the political party, I'm always thinking, what's this going to cost? And no one ever seems to come up with the actual numbers. But the numbers are what matter, aren't they? Because you're not going to be I mean, you might be able to persuade people to eat a bit less meat. People are generally eating a little bit less meat as a rule now, aren't they? Just for, for health reasons. But if you really want to massively slash the amount of meat that is eaten uh, to cut uh, carbon emissions uh, and dairy as well, you are going to have to probably price people out of the market. You want people out of their cars. Um, you're going to have to price people out of their cars. And I tell you what, you're going you're to have to actually chain me down to get me out of uh, flights abroad. Um, and this is the thing. At the end of the day, the very rich people, the sort of people who lecture us, the Harry and Meghan's, if you will, who lecture us about how we need to tackle climate change and all change our behaviour, they never seem to get affected by this because, of course, they are immune to any of these financial costs. But the ordinary Britons who are, are going to have to pay the cost are not. Well, there have been a couple of studies, actually, of how much 
cutting out meat altogether would reduce uh, climate impact. And the, the effect is very small. And by that, I really mean very small, not a trillion uh, pounds, like the Committee on Climate Change calls very small. Um, uh, and think about it. If we got rid of all the cows and sheep in Britain, uh, it would be because we've decided to rewild large areas. You know, we, we wouldn't turn it all over to wheat. We'd, we'd turn a lot of it over to forest. That means there'd be more deer. Now, the point about uh, cows and sheep is they produce methane. They fart, frankly. Uh, well, so do deer. So, you know, it doesn't actually... I, I made this point once to, to one of these, and they said, oh, I hadn't thought of that. You know, oh, I mean, God. it is very odd the way this stuff gets thrown at the public with very little proper research behind it about how much difference it would actually make. And this is the thing, huge big changes to people's lives. Um, uh, I mean, again, when, when we get to the point of you know, 2030 where you're not allowed to buy a brand new uh, diesel or petrol car, I mean, that's space, they won't be being made by then, so fair enough. But but that we know that's not going to be enough to, to deliver the targets that these people want to deliver. We know at that point they're going to start saying... You can't drive that car. They're going to price those cars off the road, aren't they, with, with huge taxes. And we know once loads of people have electric cars, all those electric, those um, tax benefits and parking benefits, electric cars, which is that you can uh, you can you know, drive in congestion zone charges for free and the like, and residence parking really cheap. No, well, that's all going to go because they're going to have to get the taxes from somewhere. This is the thing. These are going to have huge, huge, huge effects. Now, given the, the, the public at an, a general election bulk at, you know, even a sort of, you know, one or two pence on their income tax, uh, it, sort of tax rises being being threatened. It's rather unlikely that the British public, if asked a straight question, will you vote for a party that is going to cost you X, Y and Z in terms of things, things and is going to prevent you going on flights or using your car, etc, etc, that they would vote for it? And yet it doesn't seem to matter which political party we vote for, which one we put into number 10, we always seem to get the Green Party. Why is that? Isn't it strange? Exactly. And and I don't go as far as to say that uh, the people who are trying to force this agenda on us actually want to control our lives. They're basically communists masquerading as greens. I don't go as far as that. But I do think it's true that a lot of people on the environmental uh, in the environmental movement um, have this strange view that society is organized from the top down and that what you do is you tell people to do things and then they do it. Well, as we've seen during the pandemic, it's not that easy. People are human beings. They're not pieces on a chessboard. Uh, you have to persuade them. We live in a democracy. Uh, and in a democracy and in a free market economy, uh, people will take their own decisions. Now, uh, to incentivize certain uh, uh, carbon-reducing uh, behaviours and technologies is an excellent plan, particularly nuclear, which can actually deliver electricity. They don't like nuclear, though, do they? Scale, <laughs> they don't like that. Um, but to tell people to uh, to return to austerity, to go back to what we did in the Middle Ages, which is use the uh, landscape to provide our uh, energy, you know, that's what wind and water and uh, solar is effectively, is using the landscape to produce our energy and not allowing wildlife to use it instead. Um, that is, uh, you know, not something that I think people are going to vote for. So there's got to be some realism at some point. I don't know when it's going to come, but there is, you know, there's no point in just pushing harder and harder as a Conservative government for a Green Party agenda um, uh, and appointing Green Party people to run agencies. Uh, but uh, uh, if, you, if you really want people to vote for you in the future. 
Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.